This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Were this a sports podcast uh, on, say, dunking basketballs, uh, we'd have the equivalent of Vince Carter with us um, along those lines. If it were um, a, a podcast on the best hitters in baseball, we'd have Ted Williams. Our, uh, our guest today is a, a titan of, uh, of conservation, um, resource advocacy, however you want to word that. And we are uh, super excited that he agreed to join us. Mike Beagle, welcome to the February room. Happy to be here, Justin. A. Uh, you know, I don't I, anymore. I don't jump anymore. So maybe maybe an inch of vertical. Just make sure I don't blow out a knee, you know, at my age. Well, I bet you could still hit the spot up jumper from the corner. <laughs> yeah, maybe on a, on a game or something on a computer. <laughs> 
Well, very good. Um, well, for starters, do you uh, do you have a fishing story teed up that you can share with us? Yeah, I got one. Um, if Justin, you might know it. Um, I know your sister knows it. Um, the, the Max Canyon area of the Deschutes, uh, lower Deschutes. Um, the first time I ever fished it um, with a fly rod um, must have been about 1992 or three-ish. And um, I was fishing with a, our athletic director, a guy named Terry Stahl, um, and I was teaching coaching at Silverton High School in the Willamette Valley at the time. And um, Terry um, was upstream of me, and of course we were step casting downstream. And um, he hooked a he hooked a gorgeous steelhead, um, about twenty nine inches, just under thirty inches. It was a hatchery fish, and um, once we got it into the shallows, we could kind of tell, you know, it's a hatchery fish, and it's, you know, it's going to be his fish. So um, I got it out of the water and started taking, you know, the classic pose uh, pictures with him holding the fish, and um, and we weren't too too concerned about getting it back in the water because it was hatchery fish. It's going to be for the barbecue. And um, so I'm using my wife's camera. It was a Canon Rebel, I believe. And I took probably 15, 20 pictures and um, some great shots and um, uh, made the trip back, you know, about two and a half hours back to Silverton. And um, uh, Terry dropped me off. He went home. We decided we we're going to barbecue the, the fish that night. And so I went home and I was talking to my wife, said, oh, man, wait till you check these pictures out. And uh, she goes, well, was there any film in the camera? And I, I said, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> was there film in the camera? You know, this is pre-digital age, you know? Right, right. Well, hell no, there was no film in the camera. So I, I got to break that to Terry when we went over for dinner a couple hours later. And um, Terry's a, a total smart ass and just, he's never let me live that down. We still fly fish together um, every spring break on the Crooked River. And he brings it up around the fire and whiskey uh, every time. So um, I deserve that. But yeah. Well, that, and I bet every every time you reach for your phone to take a photo, he, uh, he brings that up. And, oh, he does. He does. Yeah. And now I'm, you know, damn near a stupid proof because I got the smartphone the dumb smartphone and uh, I can take a picture anytime I want and I don't have to worry about cameras and card, uh, you know, uh, uh, information cards and film and any of that stuff. So yeah, that's uh that was one for the ages. Beautiful fish though. Yeah. To visualize, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to take yeah. your word for it, I guess. You visualize it, but, but it, and it tasted good. So yeah. Healthy, healthy fish. Awesome, awesome. Um, <clears throat> when when we initially met years ago, um, I believe you were still a regional manager for Trout Unlimited at, the, at that point. Is that right? Yeah, I was. Uh, I believe that was uh, twenty ten or eleven. It was a year or two after the the Public Land Management Act had passed in March of two thousand nine. So yeah, you had come over with um, with uh, your film crew and got to meet some of the, the grassroots volunteers there at the steel blue chameleon lodge. Yeah, that was still um, one of my favorite experiences in, in outdoor television and, and one of the best shows I thought that we ever did. 
Um, can you um, can you tell us a little more about that? Where is the Copper Mountain or the Copper Salmon Wilderness exactly for listeners? Yeah, yeah. So it's um, pretty much like extreme southwest Oregon on the coast. And so if you come, um, if you go to the California border, and this is kind of the way I always drove is you come through California and through the Smith River country, and then you head north. Um, about an hour from the border is a little town or village, actually, uh, about 11, 1200 people called Port Orford. And um, it's a little fishing town, kind of little touristy, cute little place. And then just a couple miles north is um, the Elk River, which spills into the Pacific Ocean at that point. And um, it's one of the healthiest uh, salmon and steelhead streams, especially for its small size, um, you know, in Oregon, maybe even in the North Pacific Northwest. And um, years ago, I think back in 1984, Um, Part of the original, uh, it was a Reagan wilderness bill. Uh, The Grassy Knob Wilderness was protected, which protected kind of some of the flanks of the river uh, upstream from from the ocean. And then, um, but the headwaters weren't protected. And it's like serious, like big tree, old growth stuff. I mean, 500-year-old Port Orford Cedars, Douglas fir, um, you know, just amazing habitat, but incredibly steep. And part of, part of the the reason why it was never developed or cut is because it was too damn steep. And so the grassroots volunteers there um, started working on it maybe a decade after um, the Grassy Knob Wilderness, so in the mid-90s. And they just had no luck um, getting any conservation groups on board. Um, they you know, they pushed and pushed, but it was, you know, it's a small town, not a lot of money, uh, not a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, popularity in terms of tourism and so forth, um, other than some fishing. And um, so they approached us at TU uh, January of 2006. And we went over, did a tour, um, couldn't believe the place. We went over the Rogue River, the Umpqua, the Coquel, Coquel, uh, river were all off color and just churning uh, from a huge uh, rainstorm. And we got to Elk River and crossed the bridge and, it, and it, Elk River still had this kind of glacial color, you know, that aqua green winter steelhead color. And yeah. I couldn't believe it. And, and, and then the next two days we found out why, because um, the headwaters were intact. So that kind of got us um, working uh, and learning more about it, of course, uh, organizing the grassroots volunteers, um, getting local government on board. Um, and we, we got sportsmen to support it. And um, so we always like to say it's the first sportsman-oriented or sportsman-led wilderness in um, state history. And um, so that became part of that big omnibus bill, March of 2009. And uh, thirteen thousand seven hundred acres, I believe. So protected. Awesome. And um, in addition to to this, the sportsman, you also um, had had some success working with um, some some loggers and, and and other users too, correct? And kind of brought um, um, a whole coalition together to get those headwaters protected. Am I right there? Yeah. Um, a couple of the grassroots volunteers actually logged the area. Uh, the Elk River watershed for a long period of time. But then 
um, you know, it's an area that gets a minimum of 50 inches of rainfall a year. And so when you log these steep, incredibly steep slopes and you remove, you know, 200 or 400 or 500 year old trees, um, you know, it's pretty inevitable what's going to happen in the winter. And, um, and so seeing that and feeling it, Jim Rogers, um, who uh, was our, our just amazing uh, grassroots volunteer, actually lived on the river at the time. Um, I believe you met him at Steel Blue that day. And then Jerry Becker, yeah. who's also a forester. Um, uh, you know, these guys really made the push and um, had, had already organized to a certain extent a lot of the local community in terms of mayor, um, some of the uh, ocean fishermen, commercial fishermen, um, some of the sportsmen that lived all, along the river. So it was really kind of a nice, diverse group of of folks that were pushing for it that might not be the typical, you know, uh, wilder, you know, the stereotypical wilderness crowd, um, which was maybe refreshing and unique. And that's, that's why I think it got um, bipartisan support, uh, at least in our state. Pulling all those uh, those diverse groups together, um, you know, with with different agendas, um, is is never is never an easy thing to do, and um, it's you know a, a testament not only to um, to yourself and everybody that worked on that with you and all the individuals involved, but also, yeah, just that watershed is such a it's such an amazing place once you put eyes on it. Um, yeah, it's 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 an unbelievable just a beautiful fishery and you guys caught i know i remember seeing the pictures of um, a couple of the wild steelhead you caught you know the the winter steelhead run on that river is a hundred percent wild and um you know there's not a there's not really a summer steelhead run because the river runs really low on the in the in the summer it's not much of a you know snowmelt river so it's basically, you know, rainwater uh, during, you know, from fall um, through spring. And then, you know, of course, a little bit of snow in the headwaters. I think the headwater elevations are maybe around 4,000 feet. We don't anymore nowadays, we don't get a lot of snow at 4,000 feet like the old days. And, um, and so that, that run is pretty, pretty special. And I believe the Chinook, the fall Chinook run is about 50-50 in terms of hatchery versus wild. Um, but that winter steelhead fishery, man, you, I remember those chrome bright uh, winter fish you guys caught. Uh, they're, they're a unique and beautiful species of fish. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I bore witness to, to those two fish being caught that day. I didn't uh, get a chance to get one myself. Um, so I actually, I didn't make it back there until last year. And, um, obviously, you know, the, the run being, um, in the current state that it is, it was a long shot to catch a fish, but I just, I wanted to go have a day on the elk and just go fish it for a day and float it. Um, you know, just, just for fun. So a buddy of mine, who's a wheat farmer from the Dalles came down and met me and we went and floated it with John Hazlett one day. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, it was, it was still in, you know, very fishable shape, whereas all the other rivers around there were, were blown out. Um, we were on the heels of a big rain event. And, uh, so yeah, there was, I don't know, 30 or 40 trailers in the parking lot when we got up there. 
Um, so we were, we yeah. were behind everybody trying to get one on a swung fly. So it was a long shot, um, especially given the run, but, uh, but what a neat place to spend a day fishing. What I, I loved about the, the place is incredible, but the, the people are generous. They're selfless. Um, they're, um, and, and friendly. I mean, they're just uh, gems. I mean, I never, when I went over there, I never had to stay in a hotel. You know, I, and I went over there a lot <laughs> over a period of three or four years. And, um, you know, just having that kind of family atmosphere and uh, people who cared passionately about, passionately about the resource, um, but then were so damn friendly, you know, you just, you, couldn't say no to them ever. You know, you just wanted to go over there and do your best for them. And, and, you know, we went through some ups and downs for several months prior to this thing, you know, getting passed um, on both sides, you know, the house and Senate and then president Obama's signature. And there were, you know, there were times where, Hey, we're going to get a bill introduced and, and then it would fall through. And it's, you know, it's just the way things work in DC. And um, so it was really special um, I was actually in D.C. Um, when I knew the bill was getting dropped and there were there was going to be an actual vote. And I, it had passed the Senate first and I had to go through the House. And I called Jim on the phone and uh, we were all just in tears, you know. And um, so you really get to know those grassroots folks. And to me, they're the epitome of, of what a wilderness campaign, a backcountry type campaign to protect um, or a, a, a river or uh, elk habitat, wh- whatever it might be, I think they're the epitome of the way it ought to be in terms of being led. Right. Um, well, that that sticker that you gave me, I, I still have that on my drift boat. Um, and it's the only it's the only sticker <laughs> around in Montana on a drift boat <laughs> that uh, says Copper Salmon Wilderness. That's awesome. Yeah, sportsman yeah. For copper salmon. That's right. Sportsman for copper yeah. salmon. Yeah, right. I that well, I, I still have a couple of those. Ooh, uh, you better better hang on to those. Yeah, tight. they're precious. They are precious. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, last week we uh, we attended the BHA Rendezvous here in Missoula, which um, is a a really fun uh, event, and uh, it's you know kind of a who's who of of everybody that works in the outdoor industry from, you know, writers to artists, to retailers, to nonprofits, to, to what have you. Um, and a, a really fun place to go see all the new product and the new brands that are out there and everything. And, and it's a, it's a big event. I think there was like 60 vendors or, or something there. Um, really a great, uh, great event. Um, can you kind of tell me about the, the, the genesis of backcountry hunters and anglers? Um, happy to, um, you know, Lan Tawny and his team in Missoula. And then he, of course, you know, there are regional um, staffers, uh, you know, throughout the West with BHA are, are phenomenal and uh, they've taken it way beyond anything we ever envisioned. So yeah, we, I went to this conference down in New Mexico when I was still teaching and coaching. I got invited down to speak in Albuquerque and it was about, um, it was kind of like conservatives for wilderness or something. I can't remember what it was. And, and, um, 
met a couple people. And then we got back about a year later, we had been communicating with a handful of folks and we decided to get together at my place in the um, uh, Cascade foothills in the upper rogue uh, river uh, drainage. And um, got seven folks together. Let's see if I can remember them all. Uh, James Monteith, Dick Hensey, uh, Tim Lillibo, Michelle Detweiler, Tony Heckard, and Brian McGuire, and then me, of course. And and we just started talking conservation, but more from a hunter's perspective. And, um, you know, again, kind of questioning why, why isn't there a hunting group out there that's a, a hunting conservation oriented group that's, you know, very pro backcountry, pro wilderness. And, um, it, and we researched it. There really wasn't uh, that type of conservation group out there. And so we said, well, let's try to do something with this. And so Tony Heckard started working on a 501c3. And I had a student at, uh, at South Medford High School, Adam Brawley, who who built us a website. And, you know, we started getting out there via the web. I mean, this is 2000 probably, well, April of 2004. And, you know, it, it, it didn't really grow from there. Tony came up with the idea of doing a, you know, here's a, here's a way to get some members and a little bit of cash so we could pay for the, the 501 C3 federal, you know, tax exam uh, application, which I think at the time was maybe 500 bucks. And, um, so we did this little founders program. You could be a, a kind of a founding member if you gave us a hundred bucks and we will send you a t-shirt and a hat and a sticker. And um, I think the sticker was use the quads God gave you. I and still have one of those on my camp box. Well, I love it. I love it. And uh, that was Michelle Detweiler's idea um, in a meeting at one point. And um and so we got a few members that way. And I just remember us going, yeah, man, we got 50 members, you know, <laughs> maybe another six months later, we got another 50. So we're like, yeah, we're, we're big time now. We're at a hundred members, you know, but we just didn't have the, you know, the apparatus, the time, the bandwidth, whatever you want to call it um, to, to get the organization to grow. And I, I think going with, um, you know, our, uh, um, uh, Jim Akinson, uh, Holly Endersby, the first couple years, we, you know, we were able to get some grants and hire an uh, executive director and, and became a little bit more serious. And uh, we're starting to pick up a, you know, a few hundred, then a few thousand uh, members. But then when Lan Tawney became um, president or uh, executive director, it just, we just grew leaps and, and bounds. The guys got tons of passion um, is the real deal, you know, blood up to his armpits type of hunter. And um, uh, I think, and, and then just one of the best uh, extemporaneous or off the cuff type of speakers I've ever been around, you mm-hmm. know, prepared, doesn't need a teleprompter, doesn't need to look at a note sheet and can just speak and have a really good rapport with people, whatever crowd that might be. And so having him as executive director was a game changer. And um, of course, now I I think they have 30 staff and uh, 35,000 members, maybe, maybe a bit more. Um, Yeah, a far cry from 50. Well, but you you were onto something. It was a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we just didn't envision it being like that. And I was still teaching and coaching. So I didn't, you know, I kind of got defaulted into becoming board chair and you know and it's like oh okay 
um, you know, trying to kind of keep the thing going. And I was probably, you know, like a lot of things when you're kind of a type A personality, you, you get a little OCD about things, you know, and, um, you know, I focused on it a lot or maybe too much. And, um, um, you know, it, uh, it, it grew, it didn't grow as fast as we wanted at the time. We wanted a lot more out of it and we just had no means of getting the word out. And right. that, and now between, I think social media, um, you know, the web, of course, um, all the gear deals that they have, the magazine's phenomenal. Yeah, um, it is. It, um, that it's just, it's growing and it's, you know, even through, I, I think, um, economic downturns and recessions, I still think, um, the organization's growing. And I think if I, I haven't looked in a while, but, you know, we stayed at 25 bucks for a membership forever. And, um, I think it might still be $25, when a lot yeah, of I think it's I think they bumped it up to maybe thirty five. It might yeah. you might be right. Maybe it's the the we Elf Foundation is thirty five. We, we talked about it and it made a lot of sense. I mean, our first BHA rendezvous was at um, Fort Missoula, March of two thousand twelve, and we talked about it as a board there. And it was you know and but uh, we we stayed. I know we stayed at least another eight years or so. Um, at 25 bucks, which is, a, I think, a great deal. Yeah. And, um, you know, given the, the, um, <clears throat> the current, uh, um, you know, environment that we're in here politically, too, there's just affronts on all sides, um, you know, aimed at our, our public lands and access. So um, the organization is, is extremely important to have right now and to support we're just, uh, you know, we're, we're in a battle right now, um, across the country and in, in Montana, Montana as well. So, um, you know, now they're, they, they come to the table, they, they, you know, dig their, their heels in anytime that a big issue arises that, uh, that threatens, you know, public access and, and, um, and wild places and wild lands. So they've really become a leading organization and obviously work in partnership with a lot of the other organizations that have been around for a long time as well. It's, I think a pretty unique organization and um, you know, in the conservation of natural resources realm um, you get wins and losses, but the war is never won. You know, you, you win battles and, but you have to stay with it because you're getting to that point where you say, okay, you know, um, we're going to protect all of our wilderness, 100% of it, all of our wild rivers, uh, scenic areas, uh, fish and wildlife habitat. You, you never really get to that point. You, you keep trying to educate um, and you, you'll win some win some battles and, and you'll lose a few, too. But you stay with it, um, hoping to get to that, win the war, you know, eventually, um, but maybe not in our lifetime. But that's right. something to pass on to kids and grandkids. You know, that's that's crucial. Yeah, and and now you know now you're the um, you're working for Southern Oregon University as um, you're the uh, director of alumni or something, right? Yep, yep, I am. Yeah, it's my alma mater. That, so. that was yeah. your alma mater. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. It kind of all came full circle. Are you still? 
um, on the board of BHA and then the national board? And, you know, are you still involved in the organization to some degree? Um, to a certain extent, more as a emeritus board member. Um, yeah, I, I think I did a total of, I think I did eight years as chair, um, you know, from 2004 to 12. And then a couple more years um, just being on the board. And then a couple Montana guys, uh, Joel Webster and Ben Long, were co-chairs for a few years. And um, and then we, you know, kind of got a, a stronger, more diverse board and started being a little bit more serious about bylaws and, and how to operate as a board and meetings and so forth. And um, I haven't been to a rendezvous. Last one I went to was um, in Missoula, right on the river there. Um, it's been maybe six years ago, but, um, I'm planning on going next spring, especially if they're going to do a, 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 kind of a, again, a camping type of outing, which I think is awesome and, and very fitting, uh, especially in the COVID area area. Yeah, area. Yeah. And, um, and it's, you know, it's a hell of a lot cheaper to, to go camping than it is to, to, um, you know, rent a hotel room for three or four nights. Yeah, right. Um, it was at Fort Missoula again this year, and uh, that's like, you know, half a mile from our house. So right. um, we we didn't camp, but uh, I, I would love, and we we, <clears throat> we attended last year too at Fort Missoula, but um, I would love to go uh, do the whole thing sometime. You know, we have two little kids now, so we're, we're out of there at five o'clock and, you know, we miss out on a lot of the after hours festivities and stuff, you know, where that's where a lot of the good work gets done though. You know, having uh, kids, my, um, it's life at light speed, you know, it's before you know it, you're going to be going, what the hell happened? You know, my daughter is, uh, uh, just graduated, um, with her master's in athletic training, at Oregon state. And she's a athletic trainer for Providence medical here in the Rogue Valley and, and at, at Phoenix high school, but she works for the medical, um, uh, company. And, um, you know, and I can remember her first fish uh, up in the Eagle Cap wilderness, um, little brookie, you know, on a little spin rod, pack spin rod. Um, my son's 23, you know, my daughter's 26. And it, you, you just, um, I mean, old people always say that, you know? Yeah. Now that I'm pushing 60, it's like, well, maybe I'm kind of in that realm now, old people. But you, you, People always say that. My parents would say it. My friends who are older would say it. And you never really believe it until it's already kind of done and gone. It's like, what what happened? Right. And, and so you'll, yeah, soak up every moment. It'll be awesome. And, and your children will love the outdoors and getting away from hopefully smartphones and flat screens and computers. That'll, that'll be, uh, and that's a great place to do it. In Montana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be a fun place to grow up for sure. Um, uh, yeah, I was just remembering where I got that uh, that my initial sticker um, that I still have in my camp box. The the quads gave Greg Munther gave that to me. Um, must have been around two thousand and eight or something. Yeah, yeah. Greg's been a member. He Greg joined. So we were founded in 04. I, I'm thinking Greg probably jo- joined maybe the next year. Um, because, uh, you know, Ben Long was there in Montana and Ben was huge in terms of, you know, uh, getting our messaging on point and, um, having, 
you know, kind of uh, philosophical uh, papers and so forth. And, and, but, you know, Greg was, uh, if I remember right, was a forest service district ranger and uh, retired now, but, um, you know, great person and, you know, lived it and worked it for decades for all of us. Yeah. Greg's a, he's a testament to the benefits of the wild game diet. He's in, um, he's in Sudan right now, fly fishing. Oh, Really? At, at 80, awesome. I think he's 80. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, another person I wanted to, to mention was the influence of Jim Posowitz. Right. Um, you know, I, I met Jim in kind of a weird way, not in person. Um, about 19, uh, oh gosh, 1991 or two, I found this tape, a VHS tape, of course, you know, I'm dating myself. Um, it was done by the Audubon Society and it was called Grizzly and Man, Uneasy Truce. And it was narrated by Robert Redford. And it just, it went through, you know, kind of the history of, of, of grizzly and, and human conflicts in the West and what the numbers are like now. I mean, we don't have grizzlies in Oregon. That's a, that's an indicator. Um, fortunately, places like, uh, like Montana and Wyoming do in North central Washington. But um, Jim was interviewed on this when he was working for Montana fish, wildlife and parks. And, and he was so damn articulate and um, just seemed like such a great guy and um, was just really on point with a message about, you know, uh, you know, can we save just a little bit of habitat? You know, can we allow that one or 2%, you know, for grizzlies um, or do we have to take it all, you know, and I, th I thought it, it was just a very thoughtful and prophetic um, statement. And then, of course, a few years later, I read um, his little um, he did book, little book. Um, yeah. Fair Chase. Um, Beyond Fair Chase. Yeah. Beyond Fair Chase. Yeah. yeah. And then I finally I got to meet him about 2001 or two down at Albuquerque at that conference. And I was like, this guy, I'm meeting him in person. And of course, Jim and I always talked football and he played for Montana State's first uh, uh, national football championship team, uh, I believe. And, right. and I was a teacher and coach. And so he, we really got along and I just uh, loved spending time with him. And I know he's really close with the, the Tawny family. And um, it's actually when Southern Oregon was playing Carroll College at Helena in 2014, um, we lost a really tight game. We tried a two point conversion at the end of the game to tie it and game was over, but we had uh, land Tawny and I had set up this um, uh, meeting with Jim Posowitz because he wasn't able to get his conservation award from BHA uh, several months before. So we did it that fall after that, that game in Helena and, um, so I went over there, uh, you know, kind of dressed in all my Raider gear, SOU Raider gear, and got to <laughs> present him this award. And I told that story of the video that I used as a teacher for 10 plus years, easy. And um, it, was, it was just really neat, really special. And um, he, in my book, he's one of the legends of conservation in the same mode as Aldo Leopold or Theodore Roosevelt. And I'm serious. So uh, what a gem. 
Yeah, I think it was Dan Crockett that, that told me to go buy that book initially and just keep it in your glove box and and read it when you're you know waiting for first light to come up or or um and that's some advice that I heeded and um yeah it's uh, it's my my copy's well worn for sure yeah but um yeah that's a that's a a read that everybody should take a look at that cares about all the things that all of us do and um one of the other names that you mentioned is Ben Long, who's, you know, one of the best writers out there, in my opinion, in addition to everything else he does. Ben was genius at, I mean, we were new that the BHA board and, and kind of the focus this is a different organization, you know, and we just really didn't have anything to, you know, a lot of things in life you can, you don't have to reinvent, you know, and we had nothing that we could put on the table that said, this is how we should do this. And so I think his um, passion and focus and the ability to, you know, to write and um, in an articulate, but not demeaning and righteous way um, was really just a a huge gift for us um, that pointed us the right direction. So I give Ben so much credit for that and just a great person. Now, are you, um, in, in addition to your, uh, your job duties, are you still, um, are you still actively fishing and hunting? You finding time to, to get out and enjoy the outdoors a fair bit yourself, stir down there in that Southern Oregon zone, which is an amazing place. Yeah, I do. You know, um, we just went up to this little, I went up with, um, Dr. Michael Parker, who's one of our phenomenal, uh, biology prof- professors. He's an SOU alum too. Um, we, hiked up to vulture rock last night and freaking froze our asses off um, so windy and I mean, it was only at six thousand feet but the, the weather changed and it was like what has happened and so we had put puffy jackets on and we might have had a, a pole or two of bullet whiskey um <laughs> but i do get out and it a lot of it's hiking now i haven't hunted in a couple years um one of our busiest times that on campus uh, we do our alumni awards and homecoming, and then also our our Hall of Fame weekend, all in the fall, and um, and that just that that just chews up the time. And um, yeah, um, I did go over and hunt with Scott Stouter um, in the Rapid River Roadless area a few years ago. Uh, so that oh. was, I lost about seven toenails too. So I bet how's he doing? Scott's doing great. He's um, you know. I, I just went over and saw him in Holly um, early March, spent five days there feeding the horses and mules and um, they're not running pack strings anymore, you know, into the, into the back country. Oh, really? Wow, man. How many- it just beats the hell out of the body and it's, you know, it's a lot of work and, and, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of sad, you know, have, I've been going over there since 2004 and, um, you know, a lot of the, the horses and mules that I either got to ride or pack pack elk meat or mule deer with, um, you know, they've faded away. And, um, you know, they're up in the big wilderness in the sky somewhere. And, um, but I, I love Scott, I love Holly. And, um, you know, again, people who I met through conservation and BHA and then later Trout Unlimited that, I would have never met if I would have just stayed focused on teaching and coaching. Right. Yeah. Um, we, we, you know, had the, the good fortune of doing a show with Scott years ago and, um, 
he packed us into the uh to the rapid river and and you know took the host bull trout fishing and stuff in there and um one of his mules almost killed me the, the you know they gave me the the mule that was um had the had the best um demeanor for for folks that aren't very comfortable on on horses which is me and uh the mule didn't didn't stand for me one bit and uh and took off i was clinging for my life running full speed along that trail you know that's just a, it's a precipice that drops straight into that that river canyon there i thought i thought i was thought i was that that was the end of the road for me but um man we had such a good time and i'll never forget walking into his barn for the first time and looking up into the rafters and i don't know how many six point bull racks were up in there but um (laughs) one for dating it's oh it's i mean it's like uh huh yeah you know and it's interesting people wonder i'm i'm i mean i Scott's not into numbers. Scott's a, a meat hunter. You know, he hunts to put food on the table and it's, you know, organic, free range, non-GMO. That's the greatest meat ever. Um, but, you know, he grew up as a logger on the Oregon coast up uh, off the Alsea River. And um, so they would, uh, you know, hunt Roosevelt elk. And he, you know, oftentimes would kill an elk uh, there in the fall. And then his dad, was who, who was a World War II um, Marine Corps Okinawa veteran, um, they had a pack string. So then they would go to central Idaho, I think even before it became designated wilderness, uh, you know, the Frank Church wilderness. And, uh, wow. And, um, and then they'd kill an elk there. So, yeah, we'd probably push an 80, 80 elk pretty easily. And, and watching the guy, um, you know, I killed my first bull elk ever on a steep slope above rapid river. And we had to shuttle, you know, we had to quarter the meat and then shuttle it down. And it was excruciating and had to slide on our asses, you know, uh, with a, a quarter in the pack and a quarter on our laps, uh, sliding down to the river. It was awful. Um, painful. And, um, uh, but watching him uh, butcher an animal, you know, clean and dress an animal on a steep slope, it's a work, it's, it's beautiful. It's a work of art. I learned I from him watching, um, you know, and he had, of course, learned from his father. And um, again, kind of the, one of the great aspects of hunting um, is what you're able to pass on. So, right. Well, uh, did you know that there's a band called uh, Endless Mike and the Beagle Club? out of minneapolis <laughs> i did not i did not <laughs> you that's, might have to you might have to google that and give a listen that's uh yeah well it's if it's not classic rock you know um i'm pretty narrow-minded so it doesn't oh. sound like a classic rock band when I stumbled upon that I thought oh here's another hidden talent of mike's man he's a <laughs> he's a yeah. disc jockey yeah you don't don't want to don't ever want to hear me sing or, uh, no, that's, uh, only if I've had a few whiskeys, maybe, but <laughs> in some, some lonely back road bar, I imagine yeah. is the only place yeah. that would come out. Yeah. Now, are you doing any, uh, steelhead fishing anymore you know, for yourself or, um, yeah, I, you know, uh, I had a, a steelhead fly fishing partner for 20 um, gosh, 24, 25 years, a guy named Tony Bronner, who, um, was, uh, you know, about 23 years older than me. 
Um, he was an SOU grad, played football back in the 60s and a uh, longtime teacher and coach. And then he uh, was a fly fishing guide on the Upper Rogue and, and some of the Klamath as well uh, down in California. And um, so we fished, you know, probably one to two times per month. You know, every trip was at least a three hour, you know, float, a drift boat float. And, um, I spent, I spent more time with Tony the last 24 years than my dad. I love my dad. My dad introduced me to hunting and fishing and, you know, the wilderness and backpacking camping. Um, but you know, he doesn't fish anymore. And, you know, Tony was always there with a drift boat and uh, offering a trip and just great lessons about life and talking history and politics and conservation and, um, so I spent a lot of time with that man for 24 years and, um, we lost him, uh, August 15th to, to prostate cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. So go, when you get to that 50 year point, you gotta every year get your PSA checked. It's a prostate specific antigen. It's a simple blood test that takes two minutes at a, at a hospital or doctor's office and blood draw. And, um, but it, it monitors that area, uh, for men's health. And, um, and yeah, we lost him. It just, uh, he, he died at 81. He, you know, he wasn't young, but the guy was a stud. I mean, he's 81. You'd never think he was 81. I mean, just watching him on the oars or get into a drift boat or, or spay cast for a steelhead and catch a 30 inch steelhead. And you're just a pretty amazing guy. And, um, and so that was kind of my, 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 uh, fishing partner, um, I, I got a couple others. Um, one is our athletic director at, uh, uh, SOU. He's an avid fly fisherman. So, uh, that's, that, that is helpful. Well, Mike, I could talk to you all week and, um, and, and love the opportunity to get out on the river with you one of these days. I do get over there occasionally. Um, but, uh, I know you got a lot to do and I really, really do appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Um, and share, share that, uh, that story. And, um, uh, <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, my old, uh, film camera that I had that ended up in the river, but that's another story. So that effectively ended my photography career, but, I um, understand. Well, Hey, um, I have one more short story. If you got time, please, please. So uh, Matt Sayer, our athletic director and I, and another guy I t- taught and coached two other guys I taught and coached with, and then three, young 14 year old boys, uh, you know, well, Matt had a son who was 14. And then my friend Brad had two sons who were 14. Um, we all in, um, uh, July, late July of 2016, um, got a permit and we backpacked into the upper Lamar river in the Northeast, uh, corner of Yellowstone national park. And, uh, oh, wow, seven days. And we went up all the way up to Cold Creek Camp, which is this beautiful open sage flat where the river meanders. And, um, you know, every turn of that river, backcountry river, you know, this isn't, I, I, I don't mind talking about it because it's not like some guy from Portland or Seattle or Boise is going <laughs> to drive there and, and jump out of his rig and wet a line, you know, Um uh, it, it, every turn of the river had, you know, like an elbow length, uh, Yellowstone cut, you know, 18, 20 inch fish. Wow. And I, 
I got kind of tired of fishing after a couple of days, you know, and I, I never changed the fly. I used a little number 14 yellow stimulator and, and, you know, of course I had to redress it uh, periodically. Um, caught so many and released so many fish. I just on the, on the exact same fly. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't need to use anything else. And a couple guys used hoppers, but the kids got into, you know, big trout for the first time ever. And, um, we probably spoiled them. They probably thinking that every river is like that. You know, (laughs) it was, you know, it's just this wild place. It's, it's not designated wilderness. Of course it's managed that way. Um, with you know a backcountry uh, national park service patrol cabin every you know seven or eight miles and um, you know we we got to rough it and haul our own food and um, get attacked by black flies uh, during the heat of the day and then it would frost in the morning and um, you know would see grizzly tracks you know in the mud on a trail you know where a spring crossed or something and and then that would all kind of kind of raise the that, you know the hair on the spine and and then we had it was just it was fun because the kids really got used to making noise going into drainages you know brushy drainages um you know just so we didn't surprise some big sow with with a couple cubs and um the, it was spectacular but to me it was the you know getting those kids up there was the most precious part of it and and them seeing what wild country offers all of us you know, it's um, it's something unique and not everybody in the world ha- can have that experience. And we're pretty fortunate in the United States to be able to do that. So anyway, wanted to get that story out there. Well, yeah, we are very fortunate. And, um, you know, thanks to, to folks like you that um, have devoted much of your life to protecting such areas. Well, it's uh, like I said, it's a never ending battle. You got to stay with it. And uh you absorb losses, but you recover no, no different than than a football or baseball or basketball team. You know, um, you, you get on the comeback and you get after it uh, the next week and get ready to, to play again. And um, to me, the uh, comparisons are uh, very similar. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns. And if you have one to spend, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.